So Marilyn, Jenny, and I were at home one night, and Jenny said, Dad, you've got to see this movie. It's, it's just, it's, it, I cry every time I see it, which is all, already a flag. That's, that's, that's not a guy movie. There's nothing blown up. There's nothing cut up. There's nothing shot up. It's just, there, there's no action. And uh, I said, no, no, Dad, you really have to watch this movie. And so we did, and of course, Jenny did cry at the end. Marilyn cried at the end, and I'm just thinking, this is really just a sad movie. Why do I want to watch a sad movie? I want to watch a movie with a happy ending. And, and of course, my wife and my daughter thought this is like one of the best movies they'd ever seen. This morning, I am going to be speaking from Psalm 88, which is exactly like the movie I watched with my wife and daughter there is no happy ending to this psalm. What do we say when, what do we say to God when dark providences come into our lives? How do we speak to Him when dark providence comes in our lives? It can especially be confusing to us on what we're to say and how we're to respond in light of passages like James 1 where James writes, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. The Psalms, though, have been given to us to know how, to instruct us how we can speak to God in the midst of dark providences. And Psalm 88 is the psalm that we will be reading and studying this morning. So if you would please turn to Psalm 88 and follow along as I read the psalm. It is a psalm written by Heman the Ezraite, starting in verse 1. And this is the word of God. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. 
Oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Not a psalm that you would necessarily leave here rejoicing over. Psalm 88 is known as a Korahite psalm. The Korites, the sons of, Psalms, sons of Korah, these psalms were penned by a guild of writers created by David, as we read in 1 Chronicles chapter 6. And I'll read that for you. These are the men whom David put in charge of the service of song in the house of the Lord after the ark rested there. These are the men who served and their sons of the sons of the Korahites, Heman, the singer, the son of Joel, the son of Samuel. This is who has written this psalm. This Psalm 88 is a psalm of lament. That's one of the, that's the category that this psalm fits in. Derek Kidner, in his commentary, said this of Psalm 88, There is no sadder prayer in all the Psalter. The whole psalm is one long, desperate cry. James Boyce said, It is good that we have a psalm like this, but it is also good that we have only one. Psalms of lament are psalms that are filled with sorrow and disorientation and pain and distress and anger and feelings of abandonment. It's the psalmist's cry when he has nowhere else to turn to but God. Simply put, a lament is a complaint. It is our complaint. It is the psalmist's complaint to God about the dark providence in his life, or in our lives. And there are three types of complaints that we see in a lament psalm. One is that the psalmist is troubled by his own thoughts, fears, doubts, and lack of assurance. Another complaint is he is troubled because of the, the suffering he experiences at the hands of others. And then the third complaint is simply he is frustrated. He is deeply frustrated with God himself. Now, complaining is something that we are and should be regularly taught about in scriptures. Paul writes in Philippians, do all things without grumbling or complaining. So how is it that we have, where does complaining fit? How do we complain to God? Because that is actually the title of my message. How to complain to God in dark providences. I want you to glean from this passage, from this psalm, that you can complain to God. Chemper Longman in his commentary said, the complaint is the focal point, the focal point of of the lament psalm because it is here that we learn what has motivated the psalmist. To prayer, it is meant to describe 
our experience. The lament complaint is our expression, our talking to God about what's happening in our lives. This kind of complaint to God is not only acceptable, but it's an appropriate way of talking to God when we are hurting. What Psalm 88 teaches us to do is how to complain and when to complain and who to complain to. A lament, it's interesting, a lament, a psalm of lament um, is, is not something that just takes place privately in the, life, in the life of the person who is lamenting, but really often corporately. In fact, the primary setting for the psalms and the singing of the psalms is the formal worship service. Sunday morning for us. This includes expressing our complaints in the midst of when we are singing. And there are times where we will be and should be singing songs of lament. Just like there are times where, as Devin led us well this morning, about confession of sin when we sang Shine into Our Night. It's not just all about happy. Dev and I were talking and he, he just made this comment yesterday. He just said, yeah, I mean, the, the expectation is that when people walk out of the Sunday meeting, they've, it's a really great meeting if they've been happy. If you go home happy. But that isn't real life. We're not always happy. This psalmist isn't happy. In fact, if you notice, this is the only psalm where it does not end in praise to God. He doesn't end happy. At the time that these psalms were written, the priest would be there and he would often hear the complaint of the individual of what they're walking through, and then respond with an assurance of pardon and God's help. So you may not walk out happy, but you can walk out assured. You can walk out comforted. You can walk out encouraged. You can walk out filled with faith. You can walk out with hope. A lesson we can learn from this psalm and the other psalms is, to, is how to actually lament among one another in corporate worship or in care group when we come together on a, any given Sunday. Because when we walk in here, we walk in every Sunday with real life experiences, real pain, real suffering, real confusion, real fears, and real questions about what is happening to us. And where is God in the midst of all of this? Tremper Longman said this about the Psalms. He said, The Psalms were born from life's struggles, and they speak to people who struggle today. As we read the Psalms, we're entering into the sanctuary, the place where God meets men and women in a special way. They were composed in response to some life situation. The Psalms are a conversation between God and us, and that conversation is direct, intense, and always honest. My main, my proposition this morning is what is crucial to godly complaining, 
And that's what I want us to learn this morning is godly complaining. What is crucial to godly complaining is that we complain about the right thing. Our experience of pain, our fear, our confusion, and not about God himself. In other words, it's fine to complain to God. It's not fine to complain about God. Heman the Ezraite is in such a long-standing and dark providence. It's all he knows. Look at verse 15 of Psalm 88. Heman cries out, he says, afflicted and close to death from my youth up. The, the season of his suffering has been long. And as you read the psalm, watch how Heman's thoughts and have a tendency to jump around, but pain and suffering and grief and confusion and fear have a tendency to do that to us as well. We don't think logically. Our thoughts have a tendency to jump around in the midst of our suffering. And Heman's thoughts jump around because he is in significant pain. And so here we see, and I, and I want to review, I think there are three complaints to God that Heman has. The, the first complaint comes across as, as honest dialogue with the Lord. Look at verses 1 through 9. This is just honest dialogue. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. Now here is, he is he is honestly dialoguing with God. My soul is full of troubles. My life draws near to Sheol, to the place of death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. He's down so low he would have to pull his socks down to see. He's so low he's in this deep pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more. He feels totally forgotten by God. I would doubt there is a person that is in this room that hasn't experienced that at some point, where you just feel like you are totally forgotten by God. But then he, he talks to God even more boldly in his dialogue. He says, you have put me in the depths of the pit. You. You have put me there. In the regions dark and deep, the, the description just gets worse. And he goes, your wrath lies heavy upon me and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. (laughs) 
not even your friends are available to help. I am shut in, so I cannot escape. There's, there's no getting away from this experience. And what is, what is unique to the Psalms and what is helpful to the Psalms is we don't know exactly what's happening. We don't know what his suffering is. Similar to Paul's thorn in the flesh. What was it that, that bothered him so? What is it that this psalmist is experiencing? Is he being persecuted? Is it the consequences of his sin? Is he sick physically? Has he been sick from his youth the whole time? What is, what is this about? And we don't know. There's no... There's no specific throughout looking in other passages about Heman, which we saw in First Chronicles, but there's no description of exactly what he's walking through. And that's good. Because it allows us to identify, to, to dive into Heman's thoughts and to say, yeah, you know what? I, I feel the same way. And so this is Heman speaking to God. And the only, the only hopeful lines in this psalm are in verse 1 and 2. Oh, Lord, God of my salvation. Heman humbly recognizes that God is his Savior and humbly cries out to him in prayer, knowing that his salvation comes from God alone. It rests in God alone. And even in the darkest moment of his life, Heman is aware that there is some hope. And that's, that should speak to us, that there is hope for us. Whatever dark providence you are in, whatever moments of the regions are so dark and deep, and I am overwhelmed by the waves of God, and my companions have shunned me, but God of my salvation... James Boyce said that no person who knows that God is his Savior can ever utterly despair because we stand on this side of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and know his promises concerning heaven. Now understand, Heman is not standing on our side of the cross. What a privilege we have. This honest, humble dialogue. And, and, and what, what Heman is saying simply is this, Lord, Lord, I cannot believe this is happening. I am not in just some manner of trouble, but look at verse 3. My soul is full of trouble. Full of trouble. Not half a glass of trouble. Full of trouble. Death is near, verse 4 to 6. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no, no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, like the people who have died and eventually just fade from our memory, for they are cut off from your hands. You have me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Death is near, and I am in the darkest place imaginable. Heman cries to God. He has plunged so far down, all he sees is darkness. 
in his mind, <laughs> he is not physically in a pit. He is not physically in the dark. Spurgeon said this, he said, the mind can descend lower than the body. That's how dark life can become to us. But what is Heman doing? He's telling God. He's having honest dialogue with God. And God does not rebuke him. God does not chastise him. He is humbly laying out what is happening to him. As, and it's not that God isn't aware. God is very much in the midst of this dark providence. God is the creator of dark providence. God is the one who is intimately involved. And, and, and Heman knows that because look at verse 7. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. You overwhelm me with your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a heart to them. How often when we are in the midst of dark providence do we say, Lord, why have you done this? Or what are you doing? We recognize that God is in the midst of it. But it's honest. And it's humble. There is much similarity between Heman and Job. Both recognize that God is at the center of their suffering, and yet, which is to them almost in, and it is intolerable, and yet both don't know why God is doing what he's doing. Neither could see what possibly could be accomplished through their trial and their suffering and their pain. And how often do we just think, yeah, what could possibly be accomplished? The honesty of Heman is raw and it is emotional. It is truth-telling with no understanding of why he is experiencing what he is experiencing, is, but his experience is real and it is painful and it's confusing and it's, it's fear-filled because he's thinking like I would think in a situation like this, will this ever come to an end? I'm sure you're in, some are in trials right now. They're in a dark place, a dark providence, and you're thinking, yeah, it doesn't seem like it's ever going to stop. What do I do with that? How do I respond to that? What do I say? Well, here's what you say. God, this is what's happening. We have an honest dialogue with God. Now, it's helpful to know that because of verse 1, we can see this, this does have a foundation of faith, even though it's surrounded by this intense emotion um, because he's meeting real life face to face. What is important to see here, though, is that Heman is talking to God and he's not, in a sense, 
talking to himself. His words are honest. He knows that God is the only answer to his prayers because he knows that God is the one controlling all providence. You have done this and you have put me in the pit. Your wrath you have caused. He doesn't lose himself though. as You don't see that in the psalm. He doesn't lose himself in self-pity or self-evaluation. But he looks to God, O oh God of my salvation. Our self-help culture is preoccupied with self-talk and having an inner monologue. I can't believe this is happening to me. Why is it? What is going on? I can't believe. We have these inner conversations. The problem with self-talk is that we're not talking to anyone, including God, but ourselves. And most often, we always come up with the wrong answer. What do you think? I think it's bad. Yeah, I think it's bad too. Yeah, has God abandoned us? Yeah, God's abandoned us. Okay, well, I'm, just, I'm done with God. Yeah, I'm done with God too. I mean, that's kind of how we think. No, Heman. Ah, Heman. We get to overhear honest words erupting in an honest complaint about his circumstances. That's the first complaint. It's an honest dialogue with God. But the second complaint is an honest challenge. I love it. He not only tells God what's happening, but he challenges God honestly and humbly about the circumstances. Look at verse 10. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? Now, this is partially a true assessment because dead people don't need miracles, except for the resurrection. Dead people don't need miracles. The dead dead people don't praise God. Dead people don't declare love from the grave. Dead people don't experience God's faithfulness in the grave. Dead people don't express the wonders of God in the grave. God's righteousness isn't revealed in the land of forgetfulness. God does no miracles for the dead in Heman's eyes because he has no concept of the resurrection, for one. No, but he does. No one sings, no one dead sings praises. The dead don't worship God. That's what Heman's saying. And he's challenging God. He's saying, God, seriously, is my dying, is my living in the regions dark and deep, my going down to Sheol, my going to the grave, is that going to bring you the glory you deserve? Is your character going to be revealed in a stinking dead guy? Who will know about you? Who will know about who you are if I'm dead? Is there anyone who will know who you are from my lips? I'm right, Lord, aren't I? It's among the living that all your works are performed, Lord. It's among the living where praises are sung. It's among the living where your character is revealed. So what good is it for me to be dead? I love that about Heman. He does. He says, Lord, explain this. 
Kind of. I mean, what, what's going on here? Is this, is this going to happen? These are not unfamiliar questions. The, the, the writer of Psalm 115 asks the very same questions. And Spurgeon calls this good pleading. God? Is this really good? Is these, are these things going to happen? And we often, do we not ask similar questions? Maybe not about death, but about the circumstances that we're, we're walking through that limit our serving or limit our giving. Lord, I, I, I barely make enough to pay my bills. How am I going to be the kind of giver you want me to be? Lord, I, I, I physically can't do this anymore. How am I going to serve you the way I used to serve you? Or limit our ability to be fruitful as we desire. Or even limit our testimony due to the harsh realities of our experience, our own sin. But the psalmist shows us that these questions are okay. It's okay to ask God those questions. Not that you'll get an answer. No, <laughs> no promise is there. No, but it's okay to ask God those kinds, to challenge Him in that respect. And then the third complaint, verse 13. Now, notice in verse 1, Heman starts out, O oh Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Look in verse 9. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. And look now in verse 13. But I, O Lord, cry to you. Heman never stops talking to God in the midst of his pain and suffering, in the midst of his dark providence. Yeah, his complaint is, I cry out to you with humble, honest dialogue. I cry out to you with honest challenge. And now in Verse 13, he is asking God. Again, he's crying out to God. And now he's asking some questions. He's not making statements. But look at verse 14. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Now this, I mean, in Hemans, the, the hiding here is not that God, you just can't find God. It's purposeful. As Adam and Eve hid from God, this is the hiding that Heman experiences from God. God is purposefully hiding from me. But he's asking questions. Spurgeon says this, we may put these questions to the Lord, nay, we ought to do so. It is not undue familiarity, but holy boldness. He cannot act towards us in other than a right and gracious manner. Therefore, for every stroke of his rod, there is a sufficient reason in the judgment of his loving heart. Let us try and learn that reason and profit from it. In other words, God is at work in us. God is doing something in us. He is sanctifying us. And to ask God why is not inappropriate. We can learn something when we ask questions if we listen for the answer. Naaman's suffering has been for a long time. Verse 15, afflicted and close to death from my youth up. I don't know how old Heman is, but he's not a youth anymore. He's not a child anymore. And he has been afflicted from his youth up. 
He could have easily said the same words David said in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord? How long? He has been at death's door since childhood, afflicted and close to death from my youth up. Can you imagine being close to death's door? In verse 16 and 17, your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. What an expression of a fierce wrath that that Heman says he's receiving from God, and he's receiving it as a man of God. He was a worship leader. He was a worship song writer. He was a psalmist. And this is his experience. Oh Lord, why do you do these things? He feels totally alone. God has separated from his friends. Verse 18, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. His beloved. I don't know who that is. Could it be his wife? Could it be a child? Could it just be a dear friend? But he's separated. He feels so totally alone. God has separated him from his closest and dearest friend. The last words of this psalm end like this. My companions have become darkness. Psalm 88 is not a feel-good psalm. It starts out, my soul is full of troubles, and it ends, my companions have become darkness. But this psalm is so instructive for us as a church. We spent five weeks working through the book of Ruth and seeing how the dark providence of God comes upon a life and the the trials and the temptations that that can cause. And, and we have a psalm like this that in many ways expresses Naomi's experience from the book of Ruth who lost her sons and her husbands to death and all her possessions. She was a poor woman. We, we understand and she wondered and she said, God, bitterly, God has been bitter towards me. We read a psalm like this and we say, okay, you know what? Life doesn't always turn out the way we want it to turn out. And that's what this psalm helps us to understand. It instructs us that, listen, the trial that you're living under, brothers and sisters, the reality exists is that it may not end. Not every movie has a happy ending. Not every experience with God in this life has a happy ending.
How do we righteously complain to God? Let me give you some application. The first one is this. Don't be silent. Do not be silent. Verse 1, I cry out day and night before you. Verse 9, every day I call upon you. Verse 13, but I, O Lord, cry to you. Heman kept pleading with God. The widow, the, the widow in Luke 18, the persistent widow, kept crying out to the judge. As Christians, we're ex- responsible to express truth, both what we believe and what we feel. We can talk to God this way. Now, listen, let me, let me explain, let me help you understand what I think where, where sinful complaining really can take root is when we don't say anything to God. We remain silent and we don't express our heart to Him. To be silent is our way of ignoring God. It's our way of retaliating to Him for what He's done. You've done this to me, fine. I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to think about you. I'm not going to talk about you. I'm not going to talk to you. And that's when we often begin speaking to ourselves and listening to ourselves. We often say things like, it doesn't do any good. I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed and it doesn't do any good. And so we become silent. But that's, that's a declaration to God. I don't trust you anymore. It's a declaration to God. You are not good. What's the point? Now, we can also complain about God. You are unfaithful. You are not good. You do not keep your promises. That is also Sinful complaining. But what Heman does here, he does not do that. He expresses his experience. He asks God questions. He challenges God, yes. Oh, brothers and sisters, do not keep silent. Be the persistent widow. And then secondly... By way of application, accept that there is no promise of a happy ending. What is unusual about this psalm is that it does not end in praise and recognition that God is good. It just ends unhappily. But this is Psalm 88 surrounded by 149 other psalms that do that do talk about the goodness of God, that do talk about the love of God, that do talk about the care and promises of God, that do talk about the wonderful character of God. This psalm is one psalm surrounded by many that give us hope. This psalm is not the final outcome of our lives. 
As Christians, we can sometimes, I think, believe that God is responsible to give us a desirable outcome. And this psalm just helps us to understand that's not always the case. And I'm sure you're thinking, wow, I'm going to go home thinking my life is just not going to be happy ever. (laughs) No. No, please don't do that. Um, Because you see, even if the outcome of whatever dark providence we're walking through or trial we're experiencing is not a happy outcome, we have hope because we are Christians. We live on this side of the resurrection. Jesus is our salvation. Verse 1 is our cry, O God of my salvation. He knows every experience we go through and every pain we feel. Hebrews 4.14, the writer of Hebrews says that we have a high priest who can sympathize with us in all of our weaknesses. And he understands. Listen to this psalm from the gospel perspective of Jesus saying these words on the cross. Oh, Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. My soul is full of troubles. My life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength as he hangs on a cross, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You have put me in the depths of the pit. Acts tells us that God chose to crush his son. In the regions dark and deep, your wrath lies heavy upon me. Yes, the wrath of God poured out for us was put upon his son. And you overwhelm me with your ways. You have caused my companions to shun me. All his disciples left him. You have made me a horror to them. Peter, three times, I don't know him. I am shut in so I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you. I spread out my hands to you. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Our Savior lived this psalm so that we would have gospel hope that we would have the God of our salvation. This gospel psalm shows us that our lives do not end in darkness because he lived this psalm. We won't end up alone. We won't remain in sorrow. He isn't hiding from us. His waves won't overwhelm us. And although dark providences do live in our lives, and sometimes there is not a happy ending in the natural life that we live, there is an ultimate ending that ends when this psalm is no longer the cry of our heart. But the cry of our heart is verse 1, God of my salvation, as we stand before him that day. Let's pray. Father, 
I pray for all those who are experiencing dark providences at this very moment where they feel like it has been since their youth and it has no end in sight. Lord, I pray that you would minister to these men and women this morning. Lord, they know who they are and their thoughts even now run to their trial. Lord, may you impress upon them your love for them. That your son knows what they are experiencing because he experienced all this and more. Lord, may they be aware of your love and your care and your gentleness and your patience. Lord, and may they be given the freedom to cry out to you today and every day knowing that you hear them, knowing that you are caring for them and bringing them to that final day. Lord, strengthen them today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.